0: Hey lovelies, before we get started, I just want to let you know that my guest today, Bracha bard is a bridal educator, doula, and relationship coach. I'm really proud of this conversation, and I think that we cover a lot of super important topics. At the same time, I do want to let you know that these topics are sensitive in nature, and you may not be comfortable with young children hearing them at this time. It's something that Bracha and I discuss in this episode, and I encourage you to hear what she has to say with an open mind. In the meantime, enjoy. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rivki Yitzkowitz, and on today's show, how a perceptive kid who was always great at keeping a secret became a celebrated bridal educator, doula, and sex coach, working to break the stigma around sex, sexual abuse, mental health, and so much more. The first time I met Bracha Bardwigder in person was at a women's entrepreneurship conference. We immediately launched into a passionate conversation about body positivity and respecting yourself. I've learned since that self-respect is at the very core of all the work she does. She is someone who has spoken up passionately to empower women in all stages of life to find what is right for them, specifically when it comes to their sex lives. In an insular community, this isn't always celebrated, but she thinks that makes it even more
1: important. I was a pretty quiet kid. I mean, I had my I had my friends, um, but I wasn't a loud personality.
0: Um, Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, New York. Um, and did,
0: did you have a lot of siblings?
1: I were six kids. Um, my parents are both immigrants to the country. Uh, my father's from Argentina. My mom's from Iran. They both grew up um in either traditional or non-religious practicing homes and they both became religious and met each other and moved to New York.
0: Wow. So out of curiosity, what number are you out of the 6?
1: I'm the third. Middle child. Yes, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I'm 3 out of 4. Oh, cute. And um I'm the oldest girl though. So I'm the oldest of the sisters.
0: So did you, do you feel like you had a lot more responsibilities as a kid because you were the oldest girl and there's so many kids around?
1: Um, I don't know if it was so much responsibility in terms of physical rather than like the emotional bearing for me anyways. Like my mom was on top of the house. Um, but when it came to like navigating growing up as an American teenager in America, like in America, that was pretty much my domain.
0: Right. What was that like? Because there's all of these cultural things that are very American that your parents didn't really have a basis
1: for. So for me, it was very hard because, um, being the oldest girl, I was the one who was the most misunderstood, or I should say, kind of experimented on, um, obviously not meaning in a bad way, just facts. Like, in Iran, if my mom waxed her eyebrows, it means she was being a rebel. And in America, it just means you're being a normal teenage girl. So when I was grounded for that, that wasn't so fun.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm sure that doesn't, that doesn't um, sound fun. But
1: over the years, I had to explain to them that like, this is normal and I'm not being rebellious because I want to tweeze my eyebrows. So my sisters had like, things like that go a lot easier for them because I had to pave the way for that.
0: Right, like you had already, uh, yeah. I guess, educated your mom in a way.
1: Did all the legwork.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope they appreciated it. Were, oh, so too. <laughs> was there anything that you that you liked about the fact that your parents were from a different place? Was there anything that you felt that was just like really cool about it? Because I think it's really cool now, but right. I don't know that as a kid that was the case.
1: Um, when I was a kid, I definitely did not feel that was the case. Mostly felt pretty understood. Majority of my friends, I would say, majority of my close friends or parents were American. I like born and raised and were pretty like native to New York. So it was a lot harder to have parents who like, my, my mom would be talking to her friend and then after come up and be like, what did she say? You know? And I'm like, what do you mean? She was so clear. Like I right. grew up with accents. So that was hard. But the cool part about it is that I'm very good with languages as a result, um, just because I grew up hearing a lot of other dialects and Um, I could go to any country now and pick up a language pretty quickly. Like I went, I volunteered, I worked in Moscow after seminary for one year and I'm sorry, for six months actually. Um, and I picked up Russian in my short time being there. Like, I don't remember any of it now, but while I was there, I was like able to speak to people who I didn't know in their language and they understood me. Wow. That's six months for like a language that you've never heard before. That's
0: really fast. How did you end up in Moscow? So seminary is is your post high school year, usually in Israel. And then you go to Moscow. How did that happen?
1: Um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do post seminary. And this opportunity came up where they were trying to recruit some young women to do volunteer work in other countries. And one of them was Moscow, Russia. They were looking for volunteers to be um counselors or like technically like the mother of the house but really a counselor um like a dorm counselor yeah like a dorm counselor but, but it's not really a dorm counselor these are orphans they're living in an orphanage so um my my group was actually the most challenging i had the oldest group my girls were ages 12 to 17 and i was 18 years old myself right so it was pretty rough. Um, and a, I learned a lot, obviously at that time in my life. Um, but it was a total total culture shock and just living in a different country, being under armed guards, um, dealing with children who have such severe emotional trauma, um, being abandoned or their parents dying or their parents being in prison. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't easy. Um, but I was attracted to uh, doing something for the community, so I went, and um, when I came back home, I went to college a year later. Why were you under armed guard? Um, because, well, first of all, there's about, about almost 100 children, you know, 17 years and younger, living in a building um, with no parents, so we had security okay for our protection and add to the fact that we're jewish it just made us a larger target for anyone who um would want to be anti-semitic so we would never even we would never walk to shul without an armed guard either
0: and so every whenever you were in moscow there was like
1: if i had to go out and buy one of my you know girls tampons i would ask the armed guard to come with me to the pharmacy to go buy tampons and shampoo wow yeah it was pretty intense so there was like an m16 and a rifle every which way you looked everywhere you looked oh, yeah. wow yeah and,
0: and then and then like you said the emotional aspect of of you know being in charge of these girls who have been through severe severe trauma yes. did you have any prior experience with work like working at all i mean you're 18 so i'm you know you don't have a I phd have no, but
1: I have no prior experience with working i've I've still dealt with a lot of other people who had emotional um, trauma or physical trauma or sexual trauma. I'm I'm a very intuitive person. I was always that girl that everyone would talk to about anything. Like my claim to fame in high school was you know, if, uh, if, you, if you need to tell someone a secret, you go to bracha. So, you know, I was kind of known for that. A lot of people would open up to me about things and tell me, by the way, just so, you know, I never told anyone this. And I was so used to hearing that. That was just, that was normal for me. Um, so it wasn't... When like, people would tell you
0: certain things, like when, when people come to you and tell you secrets,
1: was this like, I'm seeing
0: a boyfriend on the side that I'm not supposed to be seeing? Or was this like, I'm being abused? Like Both. W- both. Wow.
1: Yeah. Like my, um, my uncle's raping me and also, um, other girls like, yeah, I have a boyfriend and we smoke pot and every Saturday night we go hang out in Bar Park together.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's it's so like, I, I, I have, like, I know those people where it's like, you just feel like you can open up to them. You can talk to them. There are people who feel that way about me because we only know each other through social media. So I can't tell you how many times I get messages usually around like body positivity and size inclusivity, because that's what I'm really known for. And that, and like people will like send me their horror stories that they had in a store or with a company or whatever, which is nothing compared to the types of things that you're talking about. How did you deal with that? Like, again, we're talking, you're in high school, like we're talking about a child. How did you,
1: um, I was 11 years old, I was 12 years old, I was 10, and then I was 13, and not much changed. Um, you, I grew up in a very insular community, where basically the only thing we knew as far as most people, the only thing they knew as far as religiosity was that you were part of the fold, you know, you're Chabad, or you're not Jewish, like those were who our neighbors were. There wasn't like wasn't an enclave of other uh, Jewish sects living in the community, so... Um, I had other exposure because both of my parents weren't religious, so all of my relatives aren't religious. My uncles, my aunts, my grandparents, my cousins, and we have a relationship with them and we would visit them and do holidays with them. Like My mom figured out a way to pull that off, which I actually give her a lot of credit for. Um, Cause she maintained a very good relationship with her parents and her siblings. And, you know, growing up, we had our cousins who lived in Maryland who we loved. And that was like the happiest part of our childhood was going there for Hanukkah, you know? Right. Um,
0: and, so the, I- and we should explain that it's a little bit complicated sometimes for those um, to maintain these relationships yeah. because when you're going to their house, they don't keep kosher. So you're not going to eat you anything know? that's there and, right. and stuff like that. So I do give your mom a lot of credit because um, it's not something that a lot of people are able to do wow
1: yeah so um i i just i grew up knowing that there's a world outside of our world um and maybe that made me a little bit more open but also i really think it's more personality um and then because of personality that just more of exposure that i got it just kind of went from there and then it just doesn't stop like once you're the person that people feel uh that they could trust you and they can talk to you which they can um i was very good at Um, protecting people's privacy my whole life all my friends value my loyalty um loyalty means a lot to me and um yeah i just that's just the way i am i guess
0: right some people just have it listen i i'm sure that you have these people in your life where you know that if you want some if you want everyone to know something yeah you know you have two people that you need to text and then congratulations you're
1: done you have informed (laughs) the entire neighborhood um and if you want you know, to tell someone something that no one will ever find out right <laughs>
0: exactly um to to- and i have to say also like i have used those people that like lack the ability to keep their mouth shut to like let people know about events that i'm running and things like <laughs> that because they just let everyone know um, I like, Please spread the word yeah exactly tell the whole world i'm fine with that um yeah but that ability to just to be a vault you know to be to be totally sealed off that's a that's a skill like it's it's a skill but it's also something that i think some people have innately is there something
1: i think, I had it, I think part of i think i had it innately and then i think i perfected it through life
0: was there something specific that you did to perfect that ability
1: um i think the larger the news or the bigger the secret is, the better you can get at it because you understand the magnitude of what would happen if someone finds out. Um, I think that's like automatic training for knowing. Meaning it's very tricky because let's say sometimes I was made aware of someone being sexually abused, right? So here I am, I'm a minor. What am I supposed to do with that information? Right. If I don't tell anybody, then this young other woman, friend, child really, who's 12 herself or 14 herself is still living in an abusive environment. Um, but if I tell someone I break her confidentiality, I break her confidence in me. Um, I perhaps create a huge mess out of something that, you know, it's very scary. You don't know what's going to happen. Is it that person's father? Is it their brother? Is it their cousin? Is it right? You know, and it's in the Jewish community that's very very sticky to navigate um so i think in any close-knit community it's sticky for sure
0: like i i I definitely think whenever i'm i'm speaking to someone who is not familiar with like a with like a, a jewish religious observant kind of community i just tell them to think of every small town in every country song Right. It's like that's what it is. It's like yes I know I live in New York that's and it's a big Alabama, city. And they right. yeah. Exactly. But for all intents and purposes I live in Hicktown, USA. Right. And and it's a small town and everyone knows everyone's business and it gets tricky because right. um because being a part of that community is really important to your social structure. You know, being Listen, I, there are people who are in my community now who are not permitted to, uh, to daven in any shul, to pray in any synagogue, um, because they don't vaccinate their kids. The community has, has said, right. like, this is a line that we're not willing to cross because their children are putting other children at right. risk. Um, and their children can't go to school. You know, these unvaccinated children can't go to school. And for all intents and purposes, that family is not a part of the community, um, you know no one's their kids are not playing with other kids their kids are not going to school they're not allowed um you know they're not going into the shul like there's there and that's that's a serious thing like that's not something that you undertake um lightly and then when you're talking about something where it's like you know the person being the person to rat someone else out to not to make that happen to ostracize them is a serious undertaking so is sexual abuse though And it's not, and it's, and it becomes, and it's this, and it's private in its nature because it's sexual abuse. It has these huge consequences because you're literally talking about, you know, you're talking about lives being unturned either way. There are no winners. You know, there's nothing that, that comes out. And personally, I believe that you should always report. Um, even if, even if it's a suspicion, even if you're not sure, let, you know, let, let the police do what they do. That's my personal, um, feeling. Um,
1: well, so what I was saying before about it being tricky, I wasn't suggesting not even for a half a second that it shouldn't be reported. But that was the dilemma was that I was a minor and here someone was trusting me and I had to figure out how to navigate this that she could still trust me, get out of this in a safe and healing way where she could have a healthy life in the future, which we all know is extremely difficult for trauma victims, especially child sexual abuse. It's probably the most uh, jarring of life experiences. And at the same time, wanting that person to be held accountable. So um, what I figured out was I would either try really hard to convince the person who... um, you know, told me this in confidence to please speak to someone with me who can handle it in a proper way. And that would typically be a social worker or a therapist or someone um, who I would know then that that responsibility is no longer on my shoulders because, hey, I'm 14. What am I doing about this? Right. I knew that I can go to someone. By the time I was 15, I had the social workers and therapists in school saying, Racha is the only young adult we know that has adults working for her. (laughs) i'll never forget that (laughs) when a social worker said that about me i'm like yeah you got that right (laughs) right no it's true i'm doing you
0: know the acquisition for you people tell me these things and then i pass them on
1: yeah so and sometimes it works and i got the you know young girl or a boy to get out of their dangerous situation but sometimes unfortunately it does it could get messy you know there's parents who were in denial or didn't want to handle it or didn't want to throw out the other child out of the house so then they're you know stuck between picking between their two children or a relative it's it's usually a family member or friend especially when it's someone that young so right, um, right you know this is obviously a lot of my mind now because i don't know if you've heard you know the what happened this just came out yesterday but this famous um uh, OB, GYN, who, um, unfortunately, um, had sex, which is rape with a minor. Right.
0: Yeah. This is, we're recording this on uh, November 22nd of 2019. Um, and I believe the news broke yesterday.
1: It did. It did come out yesterday.
0: Yeah. Um, yesterday that there was a, um, an OB, um, in the community who, uh, had sex with a minor and which, like you said, is rape. And it's, you know, in the, before we started recording, I was just asking, you know, like, are you okay? How are you handling this? Because uh, this is someone who you worked with, right?
1: Right. I have worked with him. Um, I actually never referred him, which is interesting. Um, he wasn't like on my referral list of people that I said, sure, go to him. He wasn't that kind of doctor to me. Um, so I'm grateful that I never did that to any clients where I encourage them to put themselves in that situation, which now they need to process, which is really difficult being their patient. But as a doula, um, if someone had him as a doctor, of course I went, I, I go wherever the mom goes.
0: Right. Uh, and can you just explain what a doula is for someone who might not know?
1: Sure. So a doula is a birth coach is, um, I assist women in childbirth with, um, emotional support, physical support and information support. That's my role. Um, I basically help the mom get through her labor and birth in a healthy manner in a way where she feels supported and advocated for. Um, and what that means for every woman is different. Some women want to get an epidural. They're like, "Bracha, I'm hiring you to hold my hands and I don't want you to convince me out of it. And I say, no problem. Your birth is your birth and you need to be empowered by your experience. That's what's empowering for her. And then I'll have other women tell me, Braha, I don't want to get an epidural no matter what. Please help me you know, stay away from it and we'll do everything. I'll pull out every trick out of my back to help her get, you know, manage her labor discomfort without the use of um, numbing medication. So, you know, every birth is personal, um, but I've helped many, many women over the years and doing this for 11 years now. Um, And it's a very personal, um, intimate experience. So when you're talking about the doctor's angle here, also it's people open up to their doctor a lot. They talk about very intimate matters. They're all up in their private parts. Right. Um, And so to find- For anyone who's not
0: familiar, birth is messy.
1: Birth is messy. It's a beautiful, I call it a beautiful mess. Um, (laughs) That's a nice phrase it's a, it's a messy miracle. That's what it is. Oh, I
0: love that. Yeah. It, it, it really is. And again, I'm again, I should note that I'm speaking as someone who has never experienced pregnancy or birth, but from what I understand, messy miracle is a really good description of
1: it. Is I do have children and I've helped hundreds of women by now give birth to their children. Um, and it's a very humbling experience every single time to witness, um, a child be born and new life come into this world. Um, that carries a lot of emotion, sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, but in the context also what we're discussing here is that a lot of people are very, very triggered right now. And it's a pretty tough day for a lot of women and their families and the community at large.
0: Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's traumatizing. It really is. Even if, you know, uh, like I'm trying to like imagine as someone who had him as, um, as their doctor and like just knowing that a rapist was all up in your business right. is traumatizing. That's like, that's something that I can't even really wrap my brain around.
1: Right. So interesting uh, is that it's, it's so, it is so unique. There are some women who are like, Oh my gosh, I never liked him. He was a creep. That's why I switched practices. So they're taking it less personally. Then you'll have other women who are messaging me who are like, he delivered all six of my children. I've like I've given him gifts. He was there for me through the craziest times of my life. Like that hurts. That's trauma, right. you know. So everyone yeah. processes it differently. But definitely, overall, I would call it traumatic. I would just say someone shouldn't absorb it as a trauma for them if it doesn't feel that way for them. That's okay too, you know.
0: Right. Uh, to for every person to just take their own feelings you know, and.
1: Correct. So if someone feels, though, that it's traumatic to them and they need help processing, I absolutely recommend that they reach out to a professional um, so that they can come out of this in a healthy fashion.
0: Right. It's. I think that probably, I want to say that certainly within my lifetime, so I'm 24 and like I'm probably like, let's say it's been like around 10 years since I've been aware of these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Going to therapy is a lot more accepted now. Um, right. And it's something that people are almost proud to say,
1: yeah they did on Instagram that therapy is cool <laughs> right yeah yeah and it, and I think that that's
0: so helpful for people, particularly just breaking stigma around like the crap that we all deal with anyway, so like why are we all busy in our own corners feeling bad about the same things, right. or you know, even if some people are if you're dealing with something that's more extreme, there are other people dealing with it, and there's nothing wrong with going to get help. What are some of the things that you think are still like are still under that blanket, are still so taboo that that we could do better about addressing.
1: Sex. (laughs) (laughs) Always. It's going to come down to sex. Let's Um, talk. What do you want me to say? I could talk about this for hours. Let's. Um, So... Um, yeah, yeah i mean well the truth is sex in any community is taboo i don't think like there's definitely again just like you're saying therapy has come a long way now since 10 years ago still so has the topic of sexuality um right. so in some circles, it's very very open and that's great um but in many it's not and people think that this is just a jewish um issue and it isn't like in the world at large there is so much misinformation still when it comes to sexuality and pleasure orgasm even anatomy like you wouldn't believe how much there's a lack of education anatomy and when i deal specifically with jewish couples um and they'll sometimes have a fresh a frustrated moment and tell me like it's not fear why didn't we get like sex education at least public school kids get that and i'm like you want to know what public schools have for sex education not much either about pleasure they're they are learning about um you know, how to use condoms and how to have protection and about birth control and not having not uh, getting you know sexually transmitted diseases but they're still not learning about their bodies about empowerment about protection in an emotional way like we live in rape culture that's not just the jewish community that's the whole world what's rape culture i've never heard that term Um, rape culture is unfortunately that it, rape is so common. Consent is so blurred. Um, the lines are very, um, it's basically that it's very pervasive and it's just so normal in society, unfortunately.
0: That it's just become, that rape is just something that has become more and more and more common.
1: Correct right despite despite the more and more openness of information towards it it's still meaning that's how taboo it still is
0: right like we're we're still not going to talk about um you know when someone has been raped when someone has been attacked in that way i want to talk about your role as what is called in the community a kala teacher or a bridal teacher Uh, just as a little bit of background um most most observant um jews will go to private schools and in those private schools you will get basically no sex education i remember that when i was in sixth grade my science teacher pulled out a pad um and um and she like she unwrapped it and she said when you start bleeding this is what you put in your underwear and then she also said you're going to grow armpit hair and you're going to get boobs but she didn't even say it like that she was like you might find that your chest is beginning to grow this is normal. And then she also pulled out a stick of deodorant and said, um, and, and is like, if you feel like you're not so clean, you should apply this on your armpits. Um, it was maybe like a 15 minute thing. Um, I remember being a lot more confused before than afterwards. Um, like, really was supposed to be informative. Right. Exactly. And I was like, I don't think that that's, um, that wasn't useful. (laughs) Like, first of all, you didn't tell, Oh, the other thing that they did tell, which, but which was one useful piece of information was that when she pulled out the pad, she told us which staff member always has in her bag that like if any of the girls ever needed if they ended up like in school and they got their period she's like you can go and talk to these specific staff members and they were like they were people they were like secretaries in the office um who were always there be like if you ever need something just go to them and tell them that you have a stomach ache and she'll give you a pad and then i always i also remember one time i really had a stomach ache and i got a pad and i was like that's not helpful <laughs> I need to go home
1: you're like I need don't give me Tylenol, please. Right, exactly. Exactly. Like
0: I don't think that's the right thing for this thing that I'm feeling right now. Um so yeah, and so there's basically no sex education, uh, and we're not gonna and there's pretty much no talk about um you know sex or where babies come from or anything like that um and after uh, once you are engaged um you go to a bridal educator and you basically have a one-on-one sex ed class um and you also learn some of the like relevant jewish customs around sex which we don't have to get into but there are those um and yeah and you that that's one of the things that you do as well so in, in addition to being a doula you're also a bridal educator what's that like like you're basically you're i'm sure that you have come across women who are like 19 who are about to get married who have never touched a boy in their entire life because that's um that's also something that is discouraged um and when i say touched i mean like literally held a hand i don't mean like sexually at all um and they're about to get married in probably let's say eight to ten weeks and they don't know like what to do they're not like what what is that like for you like does your brain just explode like how does how do you even how do you even confront that
1: well my brain doesn't explode maybe sometimes theirs does um meaning for for a student for a young woman who never learns anything about sex doesn't even know that sex exists it's definitely mind-blowing experience for her um i would say that today um, differently than even a couple years ago. Most of my students are aware that sex exists, but a lot of them are still very grossly misinformed or completely ignorant on the subject.
0: What's the biggest misconception that you've come across? Um, among women of all ages, I should say.
1: Misconception?
0: Like, what's, what's the biggest thing that people think that, that like, like, what's, what's the, the most common thing that people think is true or don't realize is true or...
1: That sex is for the man, and it's not for the woman.
0: Could we talk about that, please?
1: Yes. Please, <laughs> talk about. It. Let's that let's. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. So, sex is very much for the woman. Let's just put it out there, point blank. Um, so much so that even in our Bible, right, according to Jewish law, a man does have an obligation to physically and emotionally be there for his wife and sexually pleasure her. So it is not in line with this unfortunate idea that people think that sex is just for men and it's not for a woman's pleasure. Um, also on a physiological level, that's not true. Women actually have more G spots and more pleasure zones on their body than men. Um, and women have the ability to have more sexual pleasure than men. So no sex is not just for a man.
0: Right. And you do a lot of um, work, particularly through your Instagram page, which is how we met. Um, and you talk very openly in a very public forum about topics that people don't like to talk about. Um, you know, you, you talk very openly about sex, about pleasure, about orgasm, about sexual abuse, about, you know, those are the things that are coming just off the top of my head. Right. What? Well, so, so you come across this misconception, right? And I think it's also a widely held misconception. I don't think that it's specific to insular communities. Oh no. Uh,
1: um, 70% of women in a, america don't orgasm from sex 40% of women never had an orgasm in their life in the country so wow. this is not just a jewish um dilemma this is definitely like i said before the world at large you know it's interesting because you just brought up my instagram page um i every so often i'll get a message from someone who's like ultra-orthodox or, you know, Jewish-orthodox, super-religious, and will say, you know, don't you think you posting about these things makes us Jews look bad? You're making us all seem so naive um, and insular, and it's just perpetuating a negative image of us. And I said, with all due respect, my audience is Jewish. However, This is not just a Jewish problem. Dr. Ruth was on television for years. She was not talking to the Orthodox community because they didn't have televisions at home. The world was misinformed about sex and had no knowledge of who to reach out to for it. Even Again, this goes all the way back to our lack of education or information from a young age that we we're never taught who we should talk to about it what our questions are allowed to be what kind of professionals cover this we have no idea and so you'll have like a a couple who's in their 40s call her on live television ask questions that's not a Jewish problem meaning everyone struggles when it comes to this
0: right like there's there's just this lack of information
1: yeah
0: I, I mean it probably it probably stems from just societal like it, it there, if the if you go back right then it, there's this societal kind of history of women being in i guess you could say a, a subservient position right where it's like where it's like seen as, as they they're taking care of things and the guys get stuff done mm-hmm. um and it seems kind of natural that that would translate to, to the sexual relationship that like that would translate into general sex lives.
1: Um, very possibly. Um, we're this is me
0: sure. speculating.
1: Right. Exactly. No, I get that's a speculation. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying you could be right. I don't know. We're not so sure, um, where all this misinformation come came from. Like, what the origin is like it could be two thousand years ago men and women knew how to have amazing sex and somehow we lost it but at the same time we do know that a thousand years ago they had fake penises then too you know they had glass and metal dildos thank god now they're silicone you know right always substitutions um and additional things in terms of um helping women achieve more pleasure but in the last 50 to 80 years is when real like sex information in terms of on a science level has developed like leaps and bounds more than it ever did like it's the first time they've had valid studies done on how many times can a woman orgasm like that no one ever knew that before and now they did studies and you know they have discovered so much more information about sexuality which is amazing what's and the I'm- answer I think one, um, I don't want to be misquoted. Either a woman had one seventeen 17 or 47 times. I'm not sure. I have to look it up, but I'm okay. I'm you'll sure. look it up and we'll, and we'll add it to the show notes. That's there, impressive there, there, though. Reading it And thinking like, wow, like I'm teaching my call, like my brides and women, like you could keep going. You want to have three, have three, you want to have seven, have seven, but there was a woman's at some point in a study that had even more than that. So good for her.
0: Good for her. That sounds like a fun study.
1: Yeah. Well, they're obviously performed by doctors and scientists, um, in a very professional setting. I'm sure. Yeah. I hope
0: so. At least.
1: Yeah. It's very, very, it's very cool to read about. Um, I I have a whole stack of sex books on my desk and I slowly make my way through them. That's kind of what I, what I read about.
0: If I only had time to read, let's say two books on this topic, what, what are your top two recommendations?
1: Um, for newly married women, or, or at any stage, at any stage on sex specifically, yeah, um, or you know, recommendations. I would say The Sexually Confident Wife, um, is by Shannon Etheridge, this is definitely a great book. Um, second top book, um, not sure what i would recommend as the second one okay
0: one is good i'm short on time
1: i think it depends what kind of information someone wants like there's books on female ejaculation there's books on the psychological aspect of it there's books on positions which cosmo has a great kama sutra um there's sex for dummies which is actually great um written by dr ruth so there's you know those are some good options right
0: and i think it's also just important to note that like, you need to educate yourself. Like, just if there's something that you're not sure about in general, in all areas, but particularly in one that's so important to your relationships, to your marriage, to your just psychological well-being, there's nothing wrong with picking up a good book.
1: Learn Knowledge is power. That's my opinion.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. If there was one thing that you, that, like, you wave a magic wand and, like, everyone knows... Like everyone fixes one thing. Like what's one thing that you think that everyone is doing wrong in their relationships and their sex lives and whatever.
1: If I had a magic wand, I would wish to sprinkle it on every woman who never experienced an orgasm.
0: Okay. That's a good one.
1: I wish every woman would, um, which I would say probably half of my clientele is that they're not, and they're trying to learn how, and I do it from the education and the information angle. Um, you know, if someone has a history of more trauma, um, then I would refer them to a sex therapist, uh, cause I'm a sex coach. Um, so there's a difference there. Um, but you know, a lot of, so much of it is a lack of education, which I don't, you can't blame anyone for. They really don't know better. And it's sad. Sometimes people are like, what do you mean? Why can't they just figure it out? Good for you that you figured it out. You should know that most people don't, most people figure out how to have sex and, terms of they understand penis goes in a vagina for penetration but that doesn't mean they understand or know how to have pleasure because that's actually a skill something you're supposed to learn and then practice together but if you don't ever learn it how are you supposed to know how to do it right i'm never judgmental of anyone who doesn't i have some i'm working with some women who are married for 17 25 years and never experienced uh, orgasm and therefore are struggling with wanting to be intimate with their spouse. They're understandably not interested. Like, if I keep waving an ice cream in front of you and I'm like, here, have a lick, right? And then I pull it away and I say, have a lick again, I pull it away and I just keep doing that to you for like 15 years eventually, like, okay, leave me alone. Don't stick ice cream in my face. I don't even want to taste it anymore. That's what happens because you never get to eat it. It's frustrating. It's sexual frustration that builds up. So... Um, with some proper education, learning the anatomy positions, how to stimulate a clitoris and all of that good stuff. Um, a lot of people are successful. Thank God. Right.
0: Where do you find the husbands fall into this? Like, do you just work with the women or do you work with their husbands as well?
1: Most of my clients, um, I work with the women. Sometimes I work with a couple. Um, I don't work with any men individually, uh, cause I am a religious woman and, there aren't, they can go to a male. I'm not comfortable working alone with a male on it because it's very personal. Um, and that's just where I draw my boundary.
0: Okay. But where do you find that? Like, if you know, you're talking about, you know, a, someone who has been married for 15, 20, 25 years has never had an orgasm in her entire life. Right. You're going to need to give some instruction to the dude. Correct. I presume. So-
1: if he right and so if he is comfortable coming in for that lesson or you know session um he would and great then he would learn with her and i would show them diagrams and everything and if he's not then i teach it all to her and teach her how to teach it to him so it takes longer meaning she now has to gain the confidence and also develop the ability to have sexual communication with her husband it's possible just it takes time
0: what do you mean by sexual communication? How is that different from regular communication?
1: Uh, it's it's more. First of all, it's more sexual, more sensual in voice, more instructive, and more. You have to be more articulate because for a woman's body, it's super fine tuned. Like the male penis definitely works. Um, is a lot more simplistic than a woman's vulva, clitoris, and vagina. We are more complex. And therefore, when a woman doesn't have the words and the terminology and even the way to formulate a sentence or even be comfortable with talking to her husband about her body parts and her sexuality and doing it in a way where he doesn't feel like he's being bossed around, but in a way where she's like sexually encouraging him how to stimulate her, that's sexual language.
0: Right. So, like a way to just be like move your hand over a little bit Correct. in a way that is not like that is not a turn off, basically.
1: Like move up, move down, go right, no left, no. You're bothering me. Okay, forget it. Like that's not that's not helpful. No, and he's not going to want to do it. And he, I always tell couples, I'm like, he doesn't have your body. You know, you don't have his body. If you don't, if, if the man does not learn how to pleasure a woman in a marriage context, right, then it's like he has a blindfold on his face, which maybe some people will get turned on from great. But the fact is (laughs) his hands are all over you and he's clueless. He's literally, he has no idea how. You can't expect them to know how to turn you on if you don't either know what even turns you on. You first need to get comfortable with your body and anatomy. Know When it comes to like body positivity, tying it into what you do, and confidence, sexual confidence is the sexiest thing a woman can have. And then when a woman doesn't feel sexually confident because she feels inadequate, and that brings down her confidence, she's not sure what to do, it just makes it more difficult for both of them. Um, And it affects their sex life where it becomes awkward or uncomfortable or something that they just prefer to avoid. um, And that just becomes their new normal, which is dysfunctional. Right. Well, also it's, if you
0: are, I 100% agree with you that feeling confident, you know, feeling, feeling confident and just feeling like just having that ownership over your body is extremely attractive. Um, in men also, by the way, just like not being just knowing what you want and knowing how you want it. And all of that is very, very attractive. And at the same time, you're not like you might not know what turns you on. Again, if you're coming from a really sheltered environment, you may have never heard the term masturbation, particularly for a woman. Um, you know, you, you may not even know that that's a thing. You may not even know that, that it's possible. And that becomes also just this own stumbling block to, to really connecting with your partner in that way.
1: Correct. 100%.
0: Right. Do you kind of wish that see, cause like there's this whole back and forth, right? Because sex is not taught in like in high school in, in, in a religious or otherwise forum because it's still considered really taboo, right? Like even if you're going to talk in the wider world, no, like the people who talk about their sex lives are being scandalous, right? They're being rebellious. They're, they're bringing, they're like, it's, it's a thing because it's, it's different. Like it's not something that people really do. And at the same time that, um, that quietness about it or like that taboo really allows this misinformation to continue spreading for more and more people to be unhappy in their relationships or not know how to function in a sexual relationship do you think that we should be teaching sex like do do you think we should be teaching this like to 14 year olds 100
1: percent. like not i i wouldn't even hesitate to answer that because Um, do you know how many 14-year-olds are watching porn? Like they're learning about sex in all the wrong ways.
0: So the information is like they have access to that information anyways?
1: Well, not not everyone. Like I said, there's definitely, you're going to have some young women and men who didn't even know about that sex existed. Um, But as the years go on, I would say that's changing very rapidly where even like, Like we know, even in insular communities where 10 years ago, where it was like unheard of us for for us to have a television in our house. Today, those same families would never think of having a television in their house, but they have internet, they have smartphones, they're on YouTube, they have Netflix and who, but no, they don't have TV, right? So they have access, there's so much more access. And teenagers, they're so smart. I think parents seriously underestimate their kids like- ability to access <laughs> like, <laughs> if your kid wants to they'll go to the library they'll google they'll go to oh, their- the library you're so cute <laughs> yeah, so i'm saying for someone who thinks they don't have internet access they'll find a way they'll right. You'll have teenage boys in, in yeshiva scribble on, you know, in a, in a Jewish high school, scribble on napkins to each other the names of, you know, websites. Um, no, I don't yeah. think that's how anyone should learn about. First of all, it's not real. No one should learn about sex from porn. You know, it's terrible. Right. Every single parent, I believe, has an absolute obligation to educate their children about sex to some degree. Um, and then, of course, you'd want them to have higher education from some, from a professional if possible, um, unless you feel like you are good at it enough to explain it in a way where they don't feel uncomfortable and it's not awkward and it's empowering and informative and you're comfortable even that you as a parent you're comfortable doing that because if you're self conscious even your kid will feel that and they'll automatically their first learning that will be like oh this is something shameful and you don't want to pass that on either so you have to first like you need to like everything else in parenting right you need to be comfortable you need to own it, and then you can properly teach it. So the, I start. I'm saying women have to start first. They're the mothers, you know, of the future generation, or even now, you know. And you're raising your kids body positivity is so important. Raising young girls that not everything is about being skinny and how much you eat and what you weigh and how your clothes look. And you're more than just your body. You have a brain teaching young men not to make that the focus either, that there's so much more to a woman than that. Um, and then teaching them about, body parts and their anatomy and understanding the function like a 13 year old boy, whether he has access to anything or not, and is hitting puberty is going to have an erection. And if no one tells him what it is, he's panicking alone in his bedroom. That's his first discovery. That's, you know, doesn't have to be that way. So parents really should be educating themselves like very much. So now they really need to catch up to the fact that their kids are going to learn. It's just a matter of where and when, and you could choose to take that into control. And you could, I can decide as a mom, when do I want my son to find out and how I know the answer is a hundred percent from me, you know, right. Uh, need him learning about it from his friends or from anywhere else. I I want him to know from me. I want him to be comfortable with coming to us, asking us questions, um, being open about it, knowing that you could always have a safe conversation about it because one day they will be out of your house. They will be 18. They will be their own adult and it's going to define... In some ways, the trajectory is going to define the way they're going to live or behave or what the relationship they'll have with their sexuality for the rest of their life until they change it again, meaning unless they go to therapy or coaching or proper sex ed and care, they don't have any other exposure other than very, very likely negative exposure. Um, so I don't recommend that. Right.
0: Yeah. Like take, take responsibility for what your kids are exposed to. They're going to find out about this eventually and- yeah. And you, you know, and you're going to want to, you're going to want that to come from, from a safe space.
1: I'm finding that today that it's sooner rather than later. Honestly, the num the ages just get younger and younger. I mean, it's insinuated everywhere.
0: Right. And, and, and like you said, the information is really easily accessible. It's, you know, it's not, it's just not difficult to find. Um, what is one thing, like, if, if someone who's listening to this is maybe not feeling super satisfied in their sex life or not feeling like they are super confident um, and like they want to build that up in themselves, what do you think is one thing that someone can implement today, aside from obviously getting professional help, which is something that I do encourage you to do if you feel like you need it? Um, and even if you're not 100% sure, you know, do a even consult if call.
1: if you <laughs> want it and not need it. Even if you just want it, it's good enough. If you right. it benefit your life, go for it. But what's one thing you could do all by yourself? Anything that makes you feel sexy. Like when's the last time you bought a new hot red lacy underwear, you know? Right. Or, song. or whatever, whatever. How do you access? How do you tap into your own sexuality? What makes you feel good about yourself? What makes you feel sensual? Have a bath with bath bombs. Put on new lingerie go out plan a sexy date night out with your spouse order order a sex game you know there's so much like there's so much to do to spice up and enhance your intimacy life um either for yourself or with your partner um there's so so much out there honestly in this sense i say thank god we're in 2019 because there's just so much that you can do that Nobody should be bored. Honestly, there's so much to do.
0: Right. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Bracha. If someone wants to learn more about you or be in touch, where's the place that they can do that?
1: Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Uh, my Insta handles at Balabustas. Um, my email is on there, and if someone would seek out my services, um, in my profile I have a link to my various services, so anyone could uh, register for that. Um, that's pretty much the way people could reach out to me.
0: That sounds great. The last thing that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes here on the show to speak, and that is, in your personal life, in the work that you do, in how you move around the world, what does it mean to you, Bracha, to make an impact?
1: Changing one person, to me, means changing their entire world, which is changing the whole world.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for coming on today, Bracha. I really appreciate it. Thank
1: you for having me.
0: Thanks for taking the time to listen today. You can access the show notes by swiping up on the cover art. You'll find book recommendations and a link to the study Bracha spoke about there. To hear more episodes, subscribe or head over to impactfashionnyc.com slash blog slash podcast. While you're there, feel free to check out what's new in the world of size-inclusive, modest fashion. If you enjoyed this episode, and want to help more people hear it. Leave a review with your favorite part or a quick rating. They all make a big difference, and I really appreciate it. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.